right, man. Welcome to the introduction for episode 116 of Crow 777 Radio. Today, we're going to get deep into the news. By chance, Jason and I met an insider from the highest levels of the kind of news umbrella, basically at the top, where the topics get created. And uh, we will call this individual Tom. That is a pseudonym because he needs to protect his identity. And Jason and I will go down this road. I'm going to repeat something here because I think it's important that I cover in the second hour in the very beginning. A human being or an organization or a corporation are all in the same boat with regard to they cannot make a false thing true. Pretty much at this point, from my point of view, the news is engaged in making up false ideas and trying to convince the public that they are in fact true, that they reflect some reality in this world, when certainly... In almost all cases, the opposite is true. There is an advantage in this, though very few people see it. The advantage is is that the ring of truth resides in none of it. The problem is, until people get back to common sense and into their higher minds, they've forgotten what the ring of truth sounds like. But for those individuals who in fact value common sense and have climbed back up into their higher mind, any given thing you are told can be analyzed to see if the ring of truth is in it, and with a little practice, it becomes a major tool in the tool bag. Anyhow, let's jump in with Tom and Jason Lindgren and hear about how the news is created from the highest levels. There it is, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. This is episode 116. We are going to be get a behind-the-scenes look at basically the news here today. I have Jason Lingren with me and an individual who it will become clear why he doesn't want to use his name. We will refer to as Tom, which is in fact a pseudonym. Welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. How goes it, man? It's about hot and sticky up here. Hot for the moment, but we're supposed to get big old thunderstorms all day. Yeah, it's been great. I've been going into the ocean, so um, there's always that. But let's not waste any time here. Um, It's not often that we're going to be able to source things like we're sourcing today where someone actually has behind-the-scenes look at the news. You know, we've gone at the news time and time again. We've pointed out that the, what would you call it, an acronym, you know, if you spell out news, it's basically Northeast, West, South. And we have pointed out that what news has become is a tool that pulls your mind in every direction and you never reach a destination. Uh, News is not news in the way that people think about it. And someday in this world, when people finally understand what news is, this will be a better place to live because we won't have so many video heads sitting in front of their televisions thinking they're being told something true. But anyhow, let's get Tom in here, Jason. Hello. How's it going, gentlemen? Uh, I'm good, man. How are you? Um, I uh, think you're up, good. You, you're, you're up in the northern states, aren't you? Correct. Yes. Uh, All right. Pennsylvania. I will say that. I, I think I can allow that to, to get out there. Do you, do you want to start by, and and this is totally up to you, I know um, that you don't want to be identified because some of the things we're going to talk about, um, but do you want to give any background uh, about where this insight is coming from? Sure. Uh, I could name the, the specific company um, where I was, where I had previously worked. Uh, All right. Well, we, well, let, let me yeah. say this before you sure. do. If, if you do that, you, you prob- probably don't want to give time frames or anything Correct. more identifiable, um, no level of education, not things that can identify you. Go ahead. Right. Right. So um, I had worked previously uh, for a company called PR Newswire um, before uh, moving on 
um, a few years ago into other work. Um, I, I at the time that I joined the company, it was kind of um, one of those you felt like it was dream come true. You know, finally, one of the rare people in America that gets to use his or her degree in a meaningful way. And uh, I found out very, very early on what the real deal was once I got there. Um, and the first clue I had was having to sign a series of non-disclosure agreements as well as a separate document that allowed them to oversee my investing uh, activities. <laughs> and the red flags just continued from there uh, during the years that I was with that, that organization. What made you want to get in with this organization? Uh, well, at the time, I was uh, in the corporate world. Um, I was doing a lot of um, corporate training work. And a colleague of mine had gotten hired into this company, was raving about, you know, how great the, the people were and the benefits and, the you know, the money was good and da-da-da-da-da. And I thought, well, if, you know, if it's good enough for them, you know, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to go check it out. And I really enjoyed the interview process. It was very warm and welcoming. And I thought, well, you know, this could be one of those jobs that you just take it on and you're there for a couple decades and you can retire comfortably and... So I said, yeah, you know, I accepted the position and, and went from there. You said the interview process was warm and welcoming. What was it like when you first started getting involved with PR Wire? Well, I think I could probably sum it up best by describing my, uh, my first day there. Because there's a, and we'll touch on some of the reasons for this later, I'm sure, but uh, the, the training process there uh, is a good two to three month window. It takes a very long time. It's a very exhaustive process because of all of the different areas that, that company and companies like them are involved in, both in terms of dissemination of info as well as the tracking of the results of that info. And um, the very first day on the job, I think, encompasses all of that, and, um, you know, of why I thought it was kind of warm and welcoming and interesting and everything. I was shadowing a, a person there, and we, we were working on a PR campaign for a celebrity product line. I'm, you know, I don't know if I can. Should I say the celebrity? I probably shouldn't. I think you can probably say celebrities. Okay. Um, we're, we're, you know, we're not going to defame anyone. Well, we're right. going to, we're going to defame the news here, but the news deserves defaming. So, uh, Sylvester Stallone's wife uh, has like a skincare and beauty product line or whatever, and so we were literally on a conference call with their PR director and Sly Stallone and his wife. Like, and I'm sitting there going. Is this real? <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, you don't really think that it, about how any of that stuff works behind the scenes, and all of a sudden you're plopped in the middle of it. Um, and the next thing that we moved on to later in the day was uh, for a, a movie, a movie release. It involved a movie release. I can't remember the movie now, but it was for MGM Studios. So we were talking with the execs from MGM Studios, and then after that was a separate news item that we were working on for the Ministry of Defense uh, from the State of Israel. That was day one. And everybody was just so nonchalant about it. And, you know, I remember the gentleman that I was I was kind of shadowing before the, the training courses started, just kind of shrugging it off and going, oh, you'll get used to it. You know, this is normal. You're going to experience this literally every day. And um, the staff, everybody that I met there was like that. They were just very jovial, very welcoming, very intelligent, very well-spoken folks, uh, a lot of whom I'm still friends with to this day, um, actually. But they all had that same attitude of like, yeah, you'll be starstruck for a little bit, but then it's just normal and you just come in and do your job and go home and forget about it. And I kind of liked that idea. I was used to having work that, that came home with me prior to that. And this time, yeah, I could leave the office and it just stayed there. It, or so I thought. <laughs> 
So before we get any further, we should probably give a quick background on what PR Newswire is. It was founded in 1954 to disseminate information, media, to all the big news organizations. But why don't you explain that a little bit better than I just did? Sure. Since what the last half of the 19th century, we've had the, the ability to expedite the dissemination of information, but it was just point to point. You know, the telegraph. We we could get things pretty close to real time, at least for that day and age. Um, and that stayed the same way up until the mid to the middle of the 20th century. Up to that point, besides the telegraph, you had courier services, especially in large cities like New York. So. If IBM wanted to send out a a news item to all of the newspapers around the city, they had to send out, let's say, ten couriers to each of the ten newspapers, or how many you know there were at the time. And so you never knew, you know, there was all those shenanigans of you know one paper might get that news item five minutes ahead of the other one, so they technically got the scoop, so to speak. And so there was this kind of need, not so much for the expediency sake, but more for the centralization, you know, of of information uh, to be tied in with that, if that makes sense. Um, and so that's why a wire service like a PR Newswire came along was just to give the ability to simultaneously hit all of the newsroom newsrooms in a given area, whether it was just a city, a state, the country, and eventually the world all at the same time with a specific piece of news that was meant to go out over the airwaves or go into print, etc. Would you like me to kind of do like a, a quick like two-minute rundown of, of how that dissemination process works then? Yeah, you know, as I'm sitting here listening to you, I think I'm, I would like you to do that, just to be clear, but I think sure. it would be helpful to people. You know, we Jason and I have covered so often that basically your local news or cable news, they're, they're just programming you. They're choosing topics, and they're blaring it. With this in mind, with the response you're about to give me, can you give people a good overview on the hierarchy? In other words, uh, where is PR Newswire compared to Reuters or, you know, down through cable news, down through local news? So people can really begin to understand that first of all first off I think we'll touch on this later there's there's no investigative reporting going on at the local level anywhere although it is made to appear that there is but can you kind of give us a hierarchy so we understand where PR newswire sits within the overall makeup of how the news works sure yeah so PR newswire because they originated both the terminology and the concept of putting something over the wire this entire idea of simultaneous generation of news, they're kind of top of the food chain when it comes to this type of industry. We used to tell our clients all the time that the AP and Reuters took their feeds from us. That is 100% true. So they sit above places like the AP, Reuters, your your local newspapers, your local TV stations, CNN, all of them. You know, They're taking their feeds and their cues from this particular organization because they're kind of acting as like the top conduit, if you will, between the corporate sector, the nonprofit sector, and the, the, the general public. So, so uh, let me let me jump in real quick here, Tom. Sure. So, could can we in our minds can we think of it this way? They're at the top of the umbrella. They're creating the source material that's going to go out everywhere, whether it's cable news, whether it's international news, whether it's local news. These guys are dripping down the topics for the day. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, and I think a good way to illustrate that is um, during that training period that I mentioned that was very exhaustive. 
once I got to a certain level within the company, I was responsible for helping to train some of these folks. And I used to sit the trainees down and I would hand each, say like two or three people would share a newspaper and it would be a different one from each different part of the country. So there could be one from Arizona, one from California, one from New York, one from Pennsylvania. I put them in front of them and and I'd have each one of them in front of one of our computer terminals. And I'd say, okay, go into our database, which you'll love the name of it, Prism, <laughs> and the uh, appropriate sort of Pink Floyd-ish logo they use for the database's little icon on the computer. And I would say, run a search in Prism with every headline you find in Section A, and then go on to Section B, etc. And keep track of how many of those stories had their origins within our system, regardless of what the byline says. And every single time... It didn't matter what day of the week, what time of the year, which newspaper it was. You fell within a range of anywhere from about 45% to about 75% of the news just in that newspaper from random places around the country had its origins in our system. That's a fairly large umbrella to be at the top of. Does that sort of help like, give some background here? And then I'll give the timeline of like how this process works, if that's okay. Yeah, so I'm just going to ask really quickly. On, sure. any give, on any given day, when one of our listeners out there in the world turns on their television and turns it to their local news, um, could you make a, an educated guess at how much of that material originated with Newswire? It's the same range as the newspapers because the reach is the same. So it could be on a slower news day. It might be around that 45, 50% mark on a more dense news day, if you will. It could approach that that 70, 75% mark. It's very high. And I'll tell you why. PRN had about a 12, 13-year head start in this industry before its next competitor appeared, which is Business Wire. They appeared in the late 1960s. Even to this day, there's really only four companies that do this kind of work, and PRN owns over half the market all to themselves worldwide. So when that person sits down in front of their local news, the chain of command that they are watching originated with, let's say, we'll use the federal government. The federal government had a news item because their customer is a PRN. Federal government has a news item they need disseminated. They send that that press item in. An editor at PRN takes that draft, formats it for the, and I'm doing air quotes when I say this, the satellite distribution system that has replaced the copper cables, the copper wires. Um, so the editor formats it for that system, adds whatever industry codes or industry sector codes that have to go into it for the computer management side of it and puts it into kind of a holding place so that it is sent out at whatever given time and day it was directed. Um, If it's an immediate item, the turnaround is less than 20 minutes from the time that draft is received at the editorial desk to when it's going out all over the world. So that release gets sent out and is then picked up by either the news editor or if it has been coded for a specific industry or industry sector, whatever gatekeeper is in charge of news that pertains to that industry gets copied on it besides the actual editor-in-chief or whatever general editorial staff is above them. They make the decision whether or not that item goes to air or goes to print, and that's fed into the teleprompter, for example, at a news desk uh, in somebody's local news station you know, in, you know, in Tennessee or wherever, and they're watching it. Um, and that's why for the past, whatever it's been, decade, there have been those jokes on late-night television like Conan and so forth where they show news anchors saying the same script and they'll keep blowing the screen out and it's one anchor and then five then ten then there's a hundred and they're all saying the same thing with relatively the same cadence and so forth it's because the script came from one central point and that's exactly how it happens 
So, you know, in a way, that is the definition of programming. And your example of Conan has been replicated by many YouTube people. You can go do a search right now where basically hundreds of local news anchors are reading identical scripts, word for word. Um, one that I saw recently had to do with Christmas that was pro, pro, programming people to go out and buy, buy, buy junk they didn't need. But I've got to ask, knowing the hierarchy that you just described and PR Newswire being basically the top of that and having been around since 1954. Let's shift gears for a second carefully in how we speak about this. And we, we are in the first hour here. We have to choose our words precisely. Suppose there is, and I will say it twice, supposed gun violence in some, <laughs> in some local city. Do you have any idea, since, since we know that the newswire is at the top and disseminating mostly, how does it work when there's some supposed local violent event, um, but yet it ends up being international news, coast-to-coast -coast news, local news, basically all news? Do you have any idea how that works when there's, like, say there's a city like where Jason is, say it was Baton Rouge, and there was some supposed violent event there? Can you address that at all? Absolutely, yes. There's a, there are several things that go into play anytime an event like that happens, whether it's a mass violent event or a potential violent event. Um, it could be a, a wildfire. It could be anything. A couple things go into play. Uh, first off, um, they manage what are called dark pages. And for anybody out there that works in IT, they're going to know what this means, but the average listener probably doesn't. Dark pages are set up, they're web pages that exist, but they're not cataloged until you essentially flip a switch. So they can have emergency response web pages. They can have news-oriented response pages for almost any kind of topic that can be edited in a matter of seconds and thrown up live as the land to replace the landing page for whatever website is connected to this, whether it's a news site, a company website, etc. So they manage mo the majority of the dark pages for companies and organizations, government agencies, etc. Um, so that's the first thing. It's one of the first things that goes into place. There's a dark page that gets switched on and goes live as kind of a central information hub. So you see that further centralization of the whole process here. The other thing that they will often do is they will offer free press release distribution for anybody that is putting out a news item related to whatever that tragedy or that event that happened. It could be sometimes companies will try to piggyback off of that, especially smaller companies that want to kind of get themselves up in, in the public eye like that. But you can kind of see that sort of coaxing, almost like the ice cream truck analogy with stranger danger and all of that. You know, they're, they're like, yeah, go ahead. You can, you can send your info our way. You know, nothing bad will come of it. You know, no, Ill, no ill use or anything. It's free because it's related to this tragedy. You want to help with the tragedy, don't you? You know, it's always presented that way. And they put the, that information out publicly that, you know, anything on this subject, we will send, we will distribute it for free. So those are two very, very key things, in my opinion, because you're coaxing everybody into this. It's almost like kettling at a, you know, for crowd control, only in this case it's information control that's being kettled. And at the same time, when people go to do their further research after hearing this news item that was probably sent out for free because of that sort of coaxing process, they're going to find these landing pages, these dark pages that went live. And they're not going to be told, oh, did you know that this was pre-prepped? There's no indication of that unless you work in the industry and then you realize, oh, yeah, these things are all sitting there. They have everything already ready to go at a moment's notice. doesn't matter what the tragedy is. I'm kind of curious. In the late 1900s, early 20th century, all this would have been done by what? Telegraph? 
that's how news got out. Of course, once you get into the World War II era, they did a lot of newsreels and things like that they would show to people. So, of course, that was coming from a top-down source. Right. But I'm going to assume that that was all a little too messy and inconsistent. So you get up to 1954 and in an organization like this where everything can be disseminated in one shot and makes it so much easier for information control from a top-down standpoint, right? Correct. And it's it's a lot now that we're into the digital age, it's even more sophisticated. For example, specific timing down to the minute of when something like this gets sent out. You can send a release, for example, so that it reaches each news area in the proper time zone. So you're not sending something at 9 a.m. New York time and it's God knows what in uh, Tokyo. It will hit each of those newsrooms at 9 a.m. local time. It will be translated ahead of time by a real live person that knows the local dialects before it's disseminated uh, at that appointed time. And conversely, there are ways to bury news, which I'm sure we'll get into once we get later on in this conversation. You can purposely bury news items using that same formula. Well, it's interesting what you were talking about, particularly the black web page idea where you've already got these things pre-built. They got caught with their pants down on a number of these violent events that happened mm -hmm. on, a, on a given day. And then when they flipped over the websites to be, uh, they had not cleared the server stamps and people easily looked up that they were created a week before, three days before. But I want to get into a couple things here. And I will point out once again, as we always do on the show, uh, words have meaning. This is press release Newswire press release. Um, the idea of a press release is not news, but what I wanted to ask you, Tom, is have you heard of the Schmidt Munt Act at all? Are you familiar yes. with it? Yes, okay, absolutely. So that's the vein I want to get into here for a second. Sure. In, in your view, or are you aware of any laws that make it illegal to present made up out of thin air news? And uh, I reference Schmidt Munt for the obvious reasons. Aside from the Smith Month Act, no. That's the only one to my knowledge that made it illegal at least to propagandize using an arm of the news. Unless something has been proven out as false, no reason to ever have a retraction printed. At the heart of it, as you well know, the, the idea of a free press was supposed to be a two-way street. You know, we kept them in check. We received information through them as the conduit. Um, it's, I think, in the case of a company like PRN, they're uh, and others like them are kind of taking advantage of that trust um, because there really isn't a, a law that says, oh, unless it's slanderous, obviously. But you don't really find that in press releases. That That's actually one of the areas where I will say they're on the up and up. You can't specifically call out somebody. You can't comment on, for example, a court case unless you have the docket number and you're directly involved in that particular uh, case and the people involved in it. Um, you know, So you can't do anything like that. But as far as preventing propaganda... No, there's really nothing aside from Smith-Mont uh, to prevent that. I'm glad you used the word propaganda because it's just a fancy word that basically means you can be lied to for programming reasons. But if and I didn't realize we were going to cover Schmidt Munter, I would have looked up these things. Jason and I have covered this before. I have a very old clip on my YouTube channel that talks about VNRs, which we'll touch on in a minute here. But if I remember correctly, and don't hold my feet to the fire here, I'm coming as close as I can. I haven't thought about Schmidt Munt for about, I don't know, three, four years anyhow. If I re recall correctly, it was revised somewhere around 2012, but there is this idea that back during the supposed World War II era, it was against the law for the news in this country to propagandize its own citizenry, all right? And I think Schmidt-Munt was wrapped up in that, and again, I'm pulling from memory, but it was perfectly okay for 
U.S.-based news agencies to propagandize any other country. Um, as Schmidt went along, as I understand it from memory here, uh, it became perfectly legal and acceptable on the updates of that, I think it's an act, to propagandize its own citizenry. And the reason I'm pointing that out is so many people point out that, look, this, this event was just reported to us, but we know damn well there was a drill in the same place three days prior. We've even had reports of people watching them film the drills, and then lo and behold, the drill was actually doing the very same thing the supposed violent event gets handed off as. So I want to make it perfectly clear that people can go look up. As far as I am aware, there is absolutely no law that makes it illegal for the news to lie uh, to people. And so that brings us around to VNRs. Um, VNRs is a key part of local news. And so I'll just throw it to you, Tom. Can you begin to address what a VNR is and point out how it homogenizes messages across all local markets? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the challenge that came about because of um, the rise of what we now call multimedia was the press industry needed a way to deliver the entire story without having to send a camera crew out to everything, you know, whether it was a product launch or a market opening or, um, you know, national news piece, anything like that. But especially in the corporate world, it was just too involved. But news stations needed graphics, like high-res graphics, they needed B-roll, they needed on-camera interview spots, they needed it all already done, just to save the, the, the hours that would be involved in the travel, etc. So, this is something that if, if the audience goes and looks this up, they're going to find incorrect information if they try to look up the origins of a VNR. Um, I know this because I worked directly with the company, um, and that company is called Multiview, and it's uh, it's Multiview VU at the end if people are researching it. Multiview used to be an independent uh, multimedia production company that uh, PR Newswire purchased uh, in the, I believe, mid-1990s, late-1990s. They are the origins of the VNR package, and simply put, what a VNR is is you take a text-based press release, you embed it in an HTML-coded package that can either be posted to the web or delivered to a newsroom, and inside that package, besides the actual talking script, uh, you know, the, the press release itself, there are embedded HD B-roll clips, any associated interview spots, all of it already edited, ready to go. They have to follow broadcast standards that are very, very specific for it to even be accepted to be disseminated over the uh, over the uh, PR Newswire delivery system. Um, and also in there, uh, in the VNR package, are things like high-res vector files of logos that might be needed, um, high-res photography examples, and those also follow very, very strict guidelines, both in-house and in accordance with the AP's image database guidelines as well. So when a newsroom receives a VNR, they literally are getting everything prepackaged. They literally can just drag and drop that video piece and put it on air in a matter of seconds. They don't even have to double check it, and they really don't. And in most cases, they don't even know the source of that VNR. There are still to this day, there are journalists out there, especially in television and cable news, that think their team put that together. And the reason I know that, and I'm sorry to go on an aside, but I think this is an important thing for everybody to realize. I used to visit newsrooms from, from time to time with the head of media relations staff that used to fly out from New York City 
to whatever city they needed to go and talk to or whatever. And there were a lot of cases. I'm talking probably at least three-fourths of the time that even the editor-in-chief, let alone the on-air talent, had no idea who we were, why we were there, or the fact that we were the ones handing them the information that they were reading and putting out over the TV. <laughs> they literally had no idea until we actually sat them down and showed them, like, the chain of command by which they received that VNR, for example. So that's basically what a VNR does. It's a prepackaged video propaganda piece that up until just a few years ago went largely unchecked. Um, now they at least pretend to do some background work before they roll that stuff to air, but it's still propaganda and it still gets to air. So before I hand over to Jason, I just want to make it perfectly clear. When we're talking about VNRs, it means video news release. People can Correct. look these up, but as Tom pointed out, all the information you find on it may be obscured and some of it may not even be true. But see, what happens with a VNR from the news viewer standpoint is they see their local guy, you know, George, their local news guy that everyone in the city loves. And he makes it appear as if he has done investigative reporting. But what they have in fact done is cut a little bit of George introducing the topic, then they run the VNR, and they even sometimes edit it in ways that make it seem local to a city like San Diego or New York or anywhere else for that matter. And quite often, this is how people are fooled into thinking that there are still investigative reporters. But Jason, I kind of jumped, jumped on you a couple times. I'm going to click it over to you, Jason. Where do you want to go from here? Let's make it really clear that news is no longer news. It's only information handed to a media organization, either local or national, and that there aren't people anymore like the gumshoes of old going out doing investigative journalism, coming back, writing a story, that goes to the editor, it gets tweaked, and finally put out in whatever medium. These things basically don't happen anymore from what I understand. And Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, that very little of that is done except maybe for silly little things on a local basis like going to see what the kids are doing on Easter and crap like that, right? That's correct. That's correct. Everything else is tightly controlled from these central points like PRN and others in that field. That's absolutely right. Right. So the idea that a lot of people have, and you made the joke to me when we were speaking about this ahead of time, that there's like the Clark Kent guy out there with his notepad and he's <laughs> yeah. going to check out a situation and all that kind of thing. Those guys are gone. Yeah. Long there long. aren't men and women going out and doing these things anymore. No. No, they're not. Uh, and the worst part is, is there's no fact-checking on the other end of it either. You know, it'd be one thing if they were doing it just for the sake of efficiency and cost-cutting and so forth, but there were still people fact-checking. And the fact is that none of that happens. And we can touch on this later on if you'd like, but I think the most glaring example of that occurs in the pharmaceutical industry when news releases go out about new pharmaceuticals. There's nobody challenging the chemistry involved or the science behind any of it. There's nobody on staff at any of these companies that goes, wait a second, you know, such and such chemical doesn't behave that way. You know, it just goes out because, you know, Joe Smith, who's approved to send it, signed off on it. That's it. That's, that's the only fact-checking there is. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's, there's an obvious point to be made here. Um, once upon a time, supposedly, uh, when someone thought of the word news, uh, it meant reporting and these types of things. But what we're talking about here is press releases. Right. Uh, PR Newswire, they even have it in their name, a VNR. You can look up the definition for VNR, and basically you'll be informed that it was made by a corporation, the government. It goes through this whole list of people that have no business 
having anything to do with news. And they create these packages which are designed to do one thing, and that is skew public opinion. Yeah. Um, Can I touch ahead. on one thing tied to this that I think is pretty vital for people to understand in connection with the VNR idea? First off, the dead giveaway that you're seeing one for folks that maybe decide to challenge some of this information. When you turn on your nightly news and you see your trusted news anchor, what did you say his name was, George or, I don't know, Gary or whatever, um, and Gary throws it over on that little live over-the-shoulder screenshot that they always do, like, we're joined by Michelle Smith, and she's on the scene in wherever, New Orleans, uh, with more on this. And you know, you've never heard of this person. And how did your little TV station in San Diego get enough money to fly somebody down to New Orleans? That's a VNR package. That's right. VNR in in action from your local news. Now, the the other added layer that they put on with this, and I think this is very key, so I, I hope I'm not stepping on too many toes, but I feel like this is something people should know. There are things called media tours that that same company, or that division, I should say now, Multiview, puts together on behalf of governments as well as companies. There is a satellite media tour, again, I'm air quoting, but it's television-based, and there's a radio media tour. All it simply means is they take some talking head or some spokesperson for that company or this presidential candidate, for example, or whoever, they put them in one central, centrally located studio, whether television studio or radio studio, and they schedule link-ups to, say, five or six key market areas around the country. And a 15 or 20-minute interview segment occurs. And they just go from one market to the next to the next, never telling the viewer that this person is sitting remotely somewhere else. They're always implying that the person is in studio with them or in some other sort of close proximity. So there's tie-ins to this so that when people might see that VNR, for example, ahead of time announcing this subject in more of a grand or, or general fashion, they get into the specifics and they build that sort of artificial level of trust through these media tours as tie-ons. And it's all from the same division of the same company. Which, in fact, when you think about it, uh, logically shows you that there is no reality in these reports. Right. As a matter of fact, the first Gulf War, I think one of the earliest gotcha clips I saw on YouTube was the supposed reporting of the onset of the first Gulf War, where there's some guy who's supposed to be a news reporter in uh, the theater, and I say theater without air quotes, <laughs> in the theater of war, um, and he gets caught green screen in the palm trees and the camels in the background. But, you know, at one point, I kind of sat down to think about, is there any portion of local news that we could not attribute as programming? And in recent times, I've thought about this, and I have actually monitored half-hour segments of news. And it's all programming. Even where I am, the weatherman is now programming you with weaponized weather, which mm -hmm. the Weather Channel perfected, of course. You know, the 24-hour Weather Channel perfected the idea of making weather this fear porn. And in my area, it's like the, the weather threat level or something like that comes on with every segment. But I wanted to ask you, are you aware of some of the more subconscious programming that goes into what we call news, things like buzzwords, things like colors or frequencies, anything like that? I'm only aware of them in a very sort of ancillary way because of my background prior uh, to working at that organization. That really didn't come into play as such with us uh, the only time it kind of touched on that is when, um, say, a VNR was getting put together, there would be a little bit of a, a conversation on the color scheme that would be used. These aren't just plain black and white, you know, digital 
things. These are HTML multimedia rich packages that are sent out that look like an elaborate web page. Um, and there is a consideration there for color scheme and uh, in some cases on the actual layout, the layout template. But aside from that, not really. The closest as far as um, any kind of buzzword goes, uh, I was there when they first implemented the idea of having XHTML embedded keywording. So that certain keywords and phrases within uh, a press release when it was posted online to a, a web-based news outlet or a, what they call a microsite post, it was the start of being able to click those keywords and be more be further propagandized. But beyond that, no, I wasn't privy to um, anything other than those two areas. So I think the big question for me here is, who is giving PR Newswire the information to make stories out of in the first place? Well, it depends. Uh, the larger companies um, and even some government agencies around the world make use of PR firms. People like Porter Novelli and all their subdivisions. Uh, Helen Knowlton was famous for the first Gulf War and all of that story I'm sure everybody's familiar with. For the large companies, those folks act as the go-between. Um, that company will say, or that government agency will say, we need to send out a release on this. And some lackey at you know, let's say Porter Novelli types up a, a release or a statement. They send it over to the editors at a place like PR Newswire or Business Wire or what have you. And um, it's put together. It's coded according to industry or whatever other targeting they want to do before it goes out. And that's that's that. Um, so, But on a smaller scale, there are what are called boutique PR firms, which are often just one or two people doing the same kind of job as a Porter Novelli, but on a smaller scale. But they still have to go through people like PRN to have access to all of those media channels. And um, for the smaller kind of mom and pop places, um, and this is where eventually I did get into doing a lot of work because of where I grew up, how I grew up. I worked a lot with small business owners that had no idea how any of this worked. And so I had to find ways of creating like layman terms, <laughs> terminology for them uh, so that they could get their way through writing something like this uh, on their own without having to pay somebody. But oftentimes it's coming from, nine times out of ten, I would say, it's coming from one of the large PR firms in the country, and there are several. So as fate would have it, I can add a little personal experience to some of the things you just mentioned, like putting XHTML or XML keywords into things where keywords have been chosen out. Uh, in the age of the Internet, keywords are everything, right? Those are that's going to drive search returns and any number of things. But some years ago, I decided I was so sick of the fake news that I was going to get a job writing articles for an online news organization. Uh, I was hired in one try. And so I said, okay, let's see if I can put real news out into the world. And as people who have followed that long ago remember, I couldn't do it. The system ensured that I couldn't do it, and here's why. If you wanted to make any money at all, it was about views on your article, and this is what you had to do. You had to go to a major search engine like Bing or something else, find a trending news story, and then deduce the keywords. Usually there's somewhere between four or eight keywords in a piece. You had to use the same words that were in the initial trending story's title and reword it with those words to create the title. Then in the top paragraph of the opening of your article, you had to reiterate uh, the keywords in the totality of the article, all the keywords had to be echoed six times. Um, but here's the rub. 
that's bad enough on its own because it proves that someplace like PR Newswire generating a story at the top level is then just getting echoed by hundreds of article writers online. I tried to introduce real news. As a matter of fact, I wrote an article about the lunar wave and my experience with that and some other things that I filmed firsthand. The editor would not approve them because you have to have two, and I quote, approved sources on your article. And since it was original news for me, it was not possible to have original sources backing the idea. So basically, I walked away from the whole thing. But I can tell you flat out that the keywords that somewhere like PR Newswire or anywhere else starts at the top, that's how they get echoed over the internet probably many thousands of times over. So there's all that. That's true. Yeah, the, like PR Newswire in, in, in this instance, uh, they deliver to, I think it's now over 8,000 websites simultaneously and that's included on any level of release that you put out so it could be local it could be national it could be international you're still getting that web reach and that's a heck of when you think about how many people visit just one of those sites and then multiply that out by over eight thousand. that's before you get to television radio magazines newspapers local shopper papers in small town usa all of it that's just the internet side of it it's ridiculously huge so when you talk about an echo chamber, that's like the ultimate echo chamber. Is this a subscription service? Like, do all yes. these organizations have to subscribe on and pay on a month-to-month basis? It's an annual fee. Yeah, it is subscriber-based. There's a, an annual subscription fee that most clients will pay, you know, as an organization, or if it's like an author or somebody, they'll pay it individually. Every other organization pretty much operates that way, uh, with the exception of maybe PR Web. They're kind of like the number four guy on this sort of hierarchy. But in the cases of government agencies, Fortune 500 companies, a lot of times those uh, membership fees are waived um, because of you know contractually obligated you know high send rates. You know they might say you know well you're obligated to send 200 releases this year for. X amount of discount and membership fees waived. But normally, yeah, there is a membership fee involved. And quite honestly, there are folks and organizations out there that are members of these kinds of services that don't send out any information. They just want access to kind of the inside track on certain kinds of key info that you would only get access to by paying the membership fee. So every major media organization would probably be subscribed, even if it's not PR Newswire, to one of them? The media has free access to all of this stuff. They do have a vetting process to make sure that journalists are who they say they are or news organizations are who they say they are. The membership fee applies to people that are looking to send, not to. it does not apply to the people that are on the receiving side of that info. So anybody can receive the info for free? They are an accredited, fully vetted member of the press, yes. Like journalists have free access to all of this info. Do you know what the fee is? I mean, is it exorbitant? Could it could just a random average person pay the fee and, and get access to all that? Or is it a huge fee? Yeah. No, it's not that big. Uh, I think at the time it was in the two or two, $200, $250 range. I think it might be up to around 400 I could be wrong on that. But I had checked in on something with them about two years ago for a client of mine. And uh, I was kind of surprised that the, the fee had jumped that much. But it's still not that bad when you consider what you could get in return for that membership fee each year. 400 bucks is a drop in the bucket. If you can benefit, let's say, in your ratings, if you're a news anchor, or let's say you're somebody looking to track investments and make better investment choices and you want some inside kind of info, 400 bucks a year is nothing. So, yeah, so it's not super exorbitant. 
You know, it's funny, you were talking about the little boutique places, which probably have just a couple people that are basically doing the same thing. They're creating basically what amounts to a VNR. Before censorship came to us so heavily in 2017 in YouTube and all the other social medias that are now trying to control what living men and women can say online, I remember they had outed one of these little boutique shops for having filmed pickup trucks with guns and other things on them in the Arizona desert and passing it off as something that had gone in the Middle East. But this is, <laughs> the, the reason I'm bringing this up is because, you know, now we're also censored. Uh, the chances of anyone being able to point out to many people uh, the nonsense that is going on using social media, that's almost gone now. So what we're left with is the PR newswires of the world, you know, making making up whatever they want, um, actually calling it a press release and then passing it off as news. And yeah. in some ways, it's almost like we get what we deserve because if yeah. people will sit in front of their televisions so kind of drooling that they can't possibly understand what they are looking at, which is not news. Um, I mean, what do you think? Do you, do you, uh, let, me, let me ask you before I hand back to Jason, do you think it's getting worse? I mean, do you, do you think there's big changes still coming uh, in this arena where they're just totally funneling down, funneling down, controlling the message? Um, or do you think there's kind of a stasis at this point? No, I think it, it is getting worse. And I'll give you a great example of that. Um, I remember during my time there, how they were bragging that they were the first news distribution service to gain access to Second Life, which is that online community, if you've ever heard of it, I'm not sure, where you create like an avatar. And you, it's not a game. It's literally like this other place, and people conduct business in there using this like currency. I forget what it's called, like Lindy or something. And you can go in there. There's people that host live rock concerts, but it's all using these computer-animated avatars that they created. And there's people that have remade replicas of all the famous buildings and countries and, and, and scenic areas of the world. And it's, it's literally its own nation, if you will. And I remember PR Newswire saying, there are news hubs built into Second Life, and we're going to be able to bounce our news to these news hubs in real time. So that even if you say, well... The heck with the real world. I'm making, you know, there are people who make millions of dollars in this second life world, for example. They'll be able to still see our information on behalf of our clients. In other words, there's no escaping the reach. You know what I mean? You can you can try to remove yourself from modern society or at least contemporary society as much as you want. You can live virtually. We're still going to be there. You know, They're literally to that level. And that was a quite some time ago. So I do not see it hitting a stasis point, I see it continuing down this path to where you kind of extrapolate the federal government has permission to disseminate emergency messages to your cell phone and interrupt a phone call, right? Well, there's another step forward and in the worsening of this. I, I'm wondering if it's going to get to like the touchscreen in your car is going to start babbling all this nonsense at you from places like PRN. It's very conceivable that we could be there in a very short amount of time because the progression that I witnessed tends to point me into the direction of thinking that, yeah, it's going to continue to get worse. It's going to continue to be more invasive, whether we like it or not. Any idea how they got started in the first place so that they would be trusted to be given information to disseminate? Well, I don't know about necessarily how it began, but I do know how it developed. Um, and I call it artificial trust. And I think that, honestly, we're really looking at this fairly, that's what the, the PR industry is about. It's about generating a false trust, false sense of trust. 
Um, you know, Edward Bernays most famously laid the groundwork for all of that through associating this is good and this is what we're going to sell. We're going to thing with the thing we want to sell and everybody will do the math from there and pick it up and move, move with it. So uh, the way that uh, in this case, the modern way that the trust is built, we've already been told clear back in the 50s. And I think this is kind of points in the direction of answering your question. By that point, everybody was was used to having the trusted news anchor, the Edward R. Murrow and the Walter Cronkite and the Dan Rather later on and all of that. So that whole, well, it's in the newspaper, it must be true. It's on TV, it must be true. Uh, you know, this guy has a nice face and a great suit. I'll trust him. So I think they sort of played off of that in one respect. But then as people got wiser to some of these workings, I think the level of sophistication had to kick in. So nowadays, that trust is built through, for example, uh, expert commentary. There is a service with that company called ProfNet. It's short for Professionals Network. And um, ProfNet allows people to list themselves as, quote, experts in a given field. It could be political science, could be environmentalism, it could be the auto industry, it could be anything. They pay a, a relatively small fee, somewhere in the neighborhood of like four or five hundred bucks a year, and they're listed in this database as somebody that can be reached out to by a member of the press if they're doing a story that relates to that person's field. And by simply being able to plug in a sound bite from that heart surgeon or from this particular uh, commentator or even a celebrity, people like Ben Stein are listed in that database as well as other celebrity spokespeople, a journalist who has free access to this database can send out an anonymous email to that specific industry segment and say, I'm looking for two experts for my upcoming article for a major publication. And they'll say, journalist name withheld. That way there isn't anybody bucking for, oh, I remember, I know who you are or whatever. It's, it's held somewhat anonymously. And then you find out it's some major writer for like Time Magazine or whatever, and they're doing a story on a heart valve. And there's this surgeon that you've never heard of from a hospital in a city you don't know, but they're somehow an expert on this heart valve. And they're speaking to this reporter about some pharmaceutical company's new heart valve. Or if it's a celebrity oh, I can believe this because I really like Ben Stein. I'll trust that guy's opinion on this topic. So that's a good thing that this journalist was able to get a hold of him. Well, no, that Ben Stein responded, or, well, Ben Stein's agent responded to the, the email <clears throat> inquiry. So this goes on quite often where you're creating this sense of trust based off nothing more than the public's perception of these folks in public life. There really isn't any there there, to use Crow's phrase. You know, there really isn't a there there. It's it's just fluff. And it's fluff that, that people have been taught to believe through the very item that they're getting this information from, the media. Uh, it's kind of a ridiculous, vicious circle, if you will. Those are just such salient points. Um, it's like it's like the Jedi mind trick, isn't it? Uh, when yes. I was young, I can flat out remember the news informing us all that the most trusted man in America over something like 10 polls was Walter Cronkite, the man mm -hmm. who stood there with a straight face and told us Kennedy was assassinated and told us we landed on the moon. But we're getting close to the top of the hour here, but I would also point out before I wrap up the first hour, go back and look at the movie Citizen Kane, which is regularly voted 
quoted by Hollywood, the best movie of all time. If I remember correctly, that's a 1933 movie. But in Citizen Kane, they're openly mocking what newspapers had already become way back in time in the 30s, where they start a fake war. And when the country who the war is about calls up the newspaper and says, hey, man, what are you doing? There's no war here. Uh, the newspaper responds, of course, there's a war there. Uh, we just reported that there was. I think in the modern the modern iteration, of that would be wag the dog. If people want to take a look at how all this fits together in the age of multimedia, um, wag the dog is a perfect example of what we're talking about here. Exactly. Actually, in Wag the Dog, they spell it out. But anyhow, that does bring us to the end of the top of the first hour for episode 116. Um, when we come back, we're going to start to get in a little bit about who owns these top tier organizations, try to dissect a little bit. Where's this messaging coming from? But anyhow, at the posting of this episode, there will be 116 free hours of content at crow777radio.com. You do not need a login to access it. I hope to see you all over at Crow 777 Radio for the second hour. Uh, we exercise free speech over there. And here talking about the news in the first hour, we have to choose our words carefully. Otherwise, we get censored, the video gets pulled, we get a strike, and nobody gets to hear what we're talking about. So anyhow, there it is, man. Cheers. Cheers. 